Well, good evening and welcome to the Sweetwater Baptist Church. Let me take this opportunity to say how honored and how grateful we are that you have chosen to be with us tonight in our study of the Sacred Sites book. I want to invite you to take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 6, and tonight we're going to be looking at the entire chapter, but I want to read verses 1 through 5 as a springboard to tie our thoughts together. Now, for several weeks now, we've been studying together uh, this little book entitled Sacred Sites that I had the honor and the privilege of writing the last three years, and tonight we're in chapter 10, which is the letter J of the alphabet uh, representing Jericho. And so tonight, I want to preach a sermon entitled, A Journey to Jericho. Let's bow together for a moment of prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And Lord, all of these wonderful places that we read about in the word of God. And Father, as we study these places like Jericho, we pray, O oh God, that we'll see the spiritual significance of each and every one of them. Lord, how we can be better Christians and live for you by the things that we learn from the events that occurred there. So Lord, tonight I pray that your Holy Spirit will put into my mind the thoughts that I am to have, into my mouth the words that I am to speak, and that God, you would use these words to be an encouragement and a challenge and an inspiration to everyone who is watching tonight, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. In the book of Joshua, chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, and I'm reading from the King James Version of the Bible tonight, here's what the scriptures have to say. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus, thou, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear, the, uh, shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Tonight we are making a journey and taking a journey to the ancient city of Jericho. You may not be aware of this, but Jericho is the oldest city on planet earth. It is dated between 7,000 and 10,000 years of age because of the archaeological evidence there and has been inhabited for over that period of time, all of the years of history of mankind. And so tonight we're going to a very ancient city. It was a Canaanite city, 
In fact, it was known as the center for the worship of the moon. And many scholars believe that the name Jericho actually comes from a form of the moon. And uh, in this particular city, they were worshiping the moon as they worshiped many pagan gods. It's also the lowest spot on planet Earth, the lowest city on this great globe that we call planet Earth. And so tonight we're talking about a very unique place, the oldest city and the lowest city on planet Earth. Now as you read your Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jericho is often mentioned. We know, of course, that the Hebrew children conquered Jericho. We're going to talk about that uh, tonight in a, in a very detailed way. We know that Rahab the harlot lived here. She's also mentioned not only in the book of Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1, but she's mentioned in the New Testament as well in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Well, Rahab was a citizen here. She was a resident of the city of Jericho. Elijah and Elisha visited the city before Elijah's ascension into heaven. We read about this in 2 Kings chapter 2. And then during the ministry of Jesus, he visited Jericho on several occasions. We read about two men specifically. Their names are given to us in the Word of God. One of those men is named Bartimaeus. He was blind. and The Bible tells us as Jesus came in to the city of Jericho, it was much like a parade, and all of the people had gathered uh, to watch Jesus come in with his disciples. The Bible tells us that Bartimaeus kept crying out, kept yelling for the attention of Jesus. And you'll remember the people tried to get him to be quiet, but Jesus stopped. And the Bible tells us that he performed a great miracle and gave back to blind Bartimaeus his sight. Another man that we read about in Jericho and in the New Testament is the man Zacchaeus. We learn about him even as little children, that Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he and that he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. The Bible tells us he was a tax collector. And there, there in Jericho, he met Jesus as he sat up in that sycamore tree to see our Lord. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus stopped and he looked at Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I have to go to your house today. And there on that day, Zacchaeus, a publican, a sinner, met Jesus Christ and his life was never the same. There's an old legend about Zacchaeus that he bought that piece of property in which that tree uh, was at and that even as an old man he would sit in that tree as though he were looking for Jesus. We're also given a parable in the New Testament that Jesus gives to us of the Good Samaritan. and The Bible tells us about the Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem on that Jericho road and 
how that he was beaten and left by the wayside by robbers. And you remember that a Levite came by and a priest came by, but they both walked by and ignored this man. But that good Samaritan saw the predicament of this Jewish man. and The Bible says that he stopped and he helped the man. He bound up his wounds. He took him to an inn and he told the innkeeper, he said, I'm going to give you this amount of money, and when I come back through, if he owes you any more, I will give that to you. Well, it was on that Jericho road that this event takes place. So both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we read about the city of Jericho. But now tonight, what I would like for us to do is to focus on Joshua chapter 6, and I want us to talk about the events that occur here as the Hebrew children are finally making their way into the promised land. Tonight, there are three things that I want to call to your attention. The first thing that I want to call to your attention tonight are the characteristics of Jericho. The characteristics of Jericho. Look again, if you would please, at verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto, into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. Go down to verse 3. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once, thus shalt thou do for six days. Now there's several things that I want to say about the characteristics of Jericho. Number one, it was a very strategic city. And that's very important tonight because of its location. Uh, it is in, its location is in what we call the Jordan River Valley. You remember the Hebrew children came into the promised land from the east going west as they made their way across the Jordan River. God did a great miracle there. You remember the river parted just like the Red Sea parted. And that because of the priests who were standing there with the Ark of the Covenant, the Hebrew children were able to pass over on dry land. It was a great miracle. And the very first city that the Hebrew children come to is the city of Jericho. Now, some have called the city of Jericho the gateway into the promised land. That is exactly what it was. It was the gateway for the Hebrew children to conquer and to take possession of the promised land that God had given to this Jewish nation. A second thing that I want to say about the characteristics of Jericho is not only was it a strategic city, it was a scenic city. Now what I mean by that, it was very beautiful. It is known uh, throughout the scriptures as the city of palm trees. We read about this, for example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 15. I have been blessed through the years of going to Jericho on several occasions. And you're out in the middle of the desert traveling by bus or whatever transportation 
that you might be traveling in, whether it's a car or a van or a bus, and you're in the middle of a desert, and then all of a sudden you come across a ridge, and there it is, the oasis of Jericho. Now there is a spring there that's called Elisha's Spring. We read about this in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. And as a result of this spring, the ground is very fertile. This spring puts out a thousand gallons of water per minute. And so in the middle of the desert, you have this spring that is giving water and uh, nutrition to the soil there. And as a result, many crops are grown there. Citrus fruits, for example. Dates are grown there. And it's a custom that when you arrive in the city of Jericho, no matter where you stop, whether you're going to a shop or a restaurant, you're given either some fruit or you're given dates, uh, which is a part of the products that are grown there in the city of Jericho. It is a beautiful scenic city. One other thing I want to say about the characteristics of Jericho is this, is that it was a secure city. Now in verse 1 of Joshua 6, let me read this. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And it's referring there to the walls and the gate system of the city of Jericho. It is these walls that are going to come tumbling down. I've had the privilege of visiting that archaeological site where the walls of Jericho came down. And the Bible tells us that it was very secure. Now, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 that these walls, these massive fortified walls, came down. But before the campaign against Jericho, the Bible says it was extremely secure. John MacArthur Jr. helps us to understand these massive walls. And the image I want to give to you tonight is that there were really two sets of walls. A wall within a wall. And John MacArthur writing about this says, makes this statement. The city was fortified by a double ring of walls, the outer six feet thick and the inner 12 feet thick. Timbers were laid across these, supporting houses on the walls. So because of an inner wall and an outer wall, they were able to put timbers uh, suspended across the two walls and built homes and residents there in the city of Jericho. I want to call your attention to that picture you're looking at on your screen tonight of that tree. That is the legendary tree that I referred to a moment ago that Zacchaeus bought that piece of property in which the tree was on and that he could be seen setting up in that tree even as an old man remembering the occasion in which Jesus came through the city of Jericho. So that is, or, or that is some of the characteristics of Jericho, that it was a strategic city, a scenic city, 
and a secure city. But now there's a second thing I want to call to your attention tonight. Not only the characteristics of Jericho, but I want to talk for a little bit about the campaign against Jericho. The campaign against Jericho. Now, the Bible is very specific concerning the details of this massive campaign against the city of Jericho. And it all begins with a promise. The promise is found in verse 2. And I want to read this promise again from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Listen to these words. See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king, mighty men of valor. God gave to the Hebrew children a promise. The promise was that I'm going to give you the city of Jericho. Now, ladies and gentlemen, any time God gives us a promise, you can count on it. It is a guarantee. It is a certainty. It is a fact. The Bible tells us that God gave to those Hebrew children and to Joshua the promise that they would conquer this city. Now, we have many promises in our Bible. Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, used to say, take one of the promises of God and claim it as your own. Put your name there in that promise. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So this campaign was based on a certainty. It was based on a fact. It was based on a promise that God would give to the nation of Israel the city of Jericho. Now I want to say two things about this campaign. Number one, it was a divine campaign. It was a divine campaign. God was the one that gave us the strategy and gives to us the strategy in Joshua 6 of how they would conquer the city. Now, it really doesn't sound like a campaign that maybe uh, we would have thought up. We would have probably uh, hired mercenaries or an army to come and to assist us. If we lived in modern times, perhaps we would get tanks and airplanes, scud missiles and rockets, and all types of ammunition and weaponry in order to attack the city. But that was not God's campaign. That was not God's plan at all. And ladies and gentlemen, oftentimes God's methods don't make sense. I know there have been times in my life that I couldn't understand what God was doing. And I want to remind you of what Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 have to say about this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And there are times, honestly, in our lives where what God asks us to do really doesn't make sense from a human standpoint. Oftentimes, we try to figure it out. Oftentimes, we try to use our own understanding 
when it comes to the things of God. And it doesn't make sense to us. That is because God is all-knowing and God has a method to his madness, so to speak. We would call it a madness, but it's not a madness. It's order. It's a divine strategy. And a divine strategy was being played out by the Hebrew children. So when we think about this campaign, it's really not going to make sense when you read it, but it was God's plan. And when God gives you a plan, you are to follow that plan because if you follow man's plans, you will fail. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. So when life doesn't make sense, when the strategy doesn't make sense, you keep trusting God because God has a plan and God is at work. There's something else about this campaign that I want to mention. Not only was it a divine campaign, but it was a detailed campaign. Now, for the sake of time, what I'd like to do, and if you have a copy of the Sacred Sites book, I actually have this listed for you in chapter 10 where you can follow along. But let me just give to you the details of this campaign. Number one, the soldiers were to be in front of the procession. So as the Hebrew children would line up, the soldiers were in front. Number two, seven priests with trumpets were to follow the soldiers. Number three, the Ark of the Covenant was to go before the children of Israel. So between the priests and the children of Israel, you have the Ark of the Covenant. Number four, the rear guard, or the Hebrews themselves, were to follow the Ark of the Covenant. So they were to keep their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant as they were marching forward. Number five, they were to march around the city one time a day for six days in complete silence. They were not to talk. They were not to blow ram's horns. They were to be silent. But then listen to number six, what happened on the seventh day. They were to march around the city seven times on the seventh day, and on the seventh time around the city, they were to shout. God had a very detailed plan. It consisted of seven days with specific details concerning how they were to line up and how they were to march. Now, it's very interesting as you read chapter 6, and I would encourage you to do this sometime, to notice how many times the number 7 comes up. Listen how many times, or let me give you some examples of this. There are seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days of marching, seven circuits around the city on the seventh day. Not too long ago here at Sweetwater on Wednesday evenings, I preached an entire series called Biblical Numerology. You can learn a lot from the numbers of the Bible. For example, the number three. The number three represents the Trinity. It represents God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
and we examined how many times the number three appeared. Uh, we looked at uh, the number one, the number 10, the number 12, the number 40, and so on. But one of the numbers that we examined was the number seven. In fact, the number seven is the most often used biblical number in the Word of God, especially when you get to the book of Revelation, and it deals with seven trumpets there and seven bowl judgments and seven seal judgments. And you read about all of this in the book of Revelation. Well, here we find this number seven over and over and over. So what does the number seven represent? It represents the number of completion, the number of fullness. And so what God is saying here that if you follow this strategy, if you fulfill this campaign all the way to the end, you can't do it half-heartedly, you've got to fulfill it all the way to the end, then you're going to receive a great victory and great success. Now, ladies and gentlemen, God has given to us a manual, and that manual is called the Word of God. It, it is a, a textbook for life. And if you follow the plan, if you follow the strategy that God has given to you, then you're going to have a successful life. In fact, let me read what Joshua 1 verse 8 says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, when we talk about success, I'm not talking about wealth. I'm not talking about a bunch of possessions. I'm not talking about prestige or prominence. But what I am talking about is being a success in the eyes of God, that you're a follower of Christ, that you're obedient to His will, that you're doing the things that God has asked you to do. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do what God has asked you to do, then you're a success. Maybe not in the eyes of mankind or your family, but in the eyes of God because you've done exactly what He asked you to do. And the Hebrew children were faithful in every detail when it came to the campaign of Jericho. Well, there's one final point I want to bring up to you tonight. We have looked at the characteristics of Jericho. We have talked about the campaign against Jericho. But now number three and finally, I want to talk about the conquest of Jericho. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when you put the Hebrew children against the inhabitants, the valiant men, as God called them, of the city of Jericho, it looked like there was no match against the Hebrews, uh, or uh, Jericho was no match for them. It was like David and Goliath. They should, they should have not been able to do what was accomplished, but they did, and they did it because God did it for them. It wasn't anything that they did other than being obedient to the Lord, and they conquered the city. In fact, go down, if you would, to verse 20. And notice what it says. So the people shouted, this is on the seventh day, when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet 
And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Look at verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkeys with the edge of the sword. God gave them a great victory. They conquered the city of Jericho, and it was a result of the awesome power of God. Now Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you're facing in your life, but I know this, God is greater than whatever you're facing. Right now, our world and our society is facing a global pandemic called COVID-19, the coronavirus. But I want you to know tonight, God is greater than COVID-19. God is greater than the coronavirus. God is greater than the city of Jericho. And whatever obstacle you face in your life and I face in my life, those are opportunities for God to work. Obstacles are opportunities. In fact, we see the mighty power of God throughout the nation of Israel, and especially the Hebrew children. Think about the ten plagues in the land of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the parting of the Jordan River for the Hebrew children to walk on dry land, and then the providing of water for the Hebrews to drink from a rock. God can do whatever He wants to do. The definition of a miracle is God doing whatever He wants to do with His creation. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this is where faith comes in. We walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, we call that the great faith chapter. In fact, in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But in chapter, or chapter 11, verse 30, it says this, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell, after the people had marched around them for seven days. How did those walls fall? not with missiles and bullets and tanks and airplanes, but the walls fail because of faith. And I know right now a lot of people are afraid. They're afraid to get out of their homes. Uh, they're afraid of the coronavirus. Uh, they're, they're worried, am I sick? Have I been contaminated in some way? Some are even so fearful they don't even want to go get the mail out of the mailbox. And, and God forbid they should have to go to Walmart or to the grocery store. But we have to do those things. But I want to remind you of something tonight. We're not going to be reckless. We're not going to be um, unwise in the decisions we make. But I want to remind you, we've been called to live a life of faith. To exercise that faith. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, In all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. 
And so tonight I'm calling on you and I'm calling on myself to exercise faith. Look at the obstacle that they had before them, the obstacle of Jericho. But yet, they believed God, they trusted God, they did what God told them to do, and as a result, the walls came tumbling down. Our whole Christian relationship to Jesus Christ is based on faith. We're saved by faith, we are sustained by faith. John DeLancey is an archaeologist and a pastor. And I love what he says about this when in his chapter uh, on Jericho. Listen to these words. Placing our faith in God testifies that though we may face obstacles as impenetrable, impenetrable, excuse me, as Jericho's walls, they can be overcome. No matter how high, wide, difficult, or impossible in any situation may seem. God is there waiting for us to place unwavering belief in Him. This is a faith that invites God to be an integral part of every challenge we face. So what are you facing tonight? What Jericho stands in your way of the promised land? What obstacle are you looking at tonight? Why don't you give that to God? By faith, and say, God, you've got to do what I cannot do. I don't understand why it's in my way, but Lord, I'm praying that you will intervene. I, I love what 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Faith gives us victory over ourselves. Faith gives us victory over sin. And faith gives us victory over Satan. In fact, if you'll look at that picture on your screen, you'll notice the oasis of Jericho there with rows of citrus trees and fruit that, are, that is growing on those trees. But if you'll look in the background, you'll notice a mountain there. That mountain is called the Mountain of Temptation. Many Bible scholars believe that it was this mountain where after the baptism of Jesus, that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And you remember that the devil came and tempted Jesus three different times. One of those temptations, you remember, he told our Lord, why don't you turn these stones into bread? If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. He told the, the Lord, he said, if you're truly the Son of God, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and call legions of angels to save you. And you remember that on all three of those temptations, Jesus said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And Jesus gives us a great model and a great example that occurred right there on that mountain of victory. That victory became, was because of the faith that even Jesus had in the Word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. So take heart, child of God. Hold on to your faith. 
when you're in front of an obstacle in a Jericho, keep marching as God leads you. I want to close with the words of Charles Wesley. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. So tonight, claim your Jericho. You keep marching around the city. Hold on to your faith. And see God demonstrate His power in your life. Let's bow together for a moment of prayer. Father, thank You for the lessons that we have learned tonight in Jericho. Lord, this massive city that was destroyed by Your power. Not by the power of mankind, but by the power of God Himself. And so, Lord, tonight, no matter what we're facing in life, help us to trust You completely and totally. So, Lord, thank you once more for each and every person who has joined us this evening, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. God bless you for watching tonight, and remember that Jesus loves you, and so do I.